like the video said, Todd and Kent are both out of town. Um, so you get the rookies, but you can go home and you can say that you heard a message today from Jesus, okay? Amen? So also, because the boss is away, I feel like we have the ability to break away from the sermon series, and I don't feel like there'll be any complaints, um, because I know how much everybody loves to talk about money. So today, <laughs> instead of talking about money, we're going to be talking about catalyst. Now, what exactly is a catalyst? A catalyst is something that precipitates an event, something that lights a spark, ignites something inside of us, pushes us to do something greater at a, a more rapid pace. And so I think we need to understand something right off the bat today, as Christians in the room, what is one thing that can be a catalyst in our heart? One thing that can push us to reach people with the gospel like never before. And so I think we need to understand two things. The first is this. The first is that we can never change the world until we can change ourselves. Amen? We can never change the world until we can change ourselves. And the second truth is this. We read in the Psalms, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we read about this dialogue of sheep and of shepherd. But so many times, I feel like as Christians, we try to be Lord of our life. And so I just ask that while we're in this place, we might humble ourselves. We might say, you know what, God, I know that I am a sheep. I don't know why you picked me out to be a stinky, stupid sheep, but I'm a sheep. And the thing about sheep is, sheep would die without a shepherd. And so today, in this moment, I'm saying, I'm following you. I'm following in your footsteps. Because there's something about that. That idea of sheep and shepherd is so enabling. Because it tells us that a shepherd who is smarter and wiser and stronger has gone before us. He's gotten rid of all the hard stuff. All we are called to do is walk behind him and tell people about Jesus. Somebody has gone before us. And so today I want to talk about some things. Being enabled is great, but it's hard to go out and preach the gospel when you don't feel equipped. And so today I'd just like to equip you with some of the fundamental rocks, the fundamental truths that we believe here at Burlington Baptist Church. But before we really dive in, um, and I need to catch my breath, would you pray with me? <laughs> Dear God, thank you for being a God who is just mighty and who is awesome, who, who is so much better than anything this world has to offer. And God, I just thank you that you give us this opportunity as a group of people, as a fellowship of believers, to join together in your house on this morning. And Lord, we know that you're here. And so I just pray that you would open up our hearts that we might hear your word and it might inspire us. It might be a catalyst to set a fire in our heart to go out and reach broken, hurting people. We ask all these things in your son's most precious name. Amen. And so to start off this uh, catalyst message, the first block, the first fundamental truth that I think we all need to hold on to is that we have the ability to know God. Now, a lot of people come into church with this idea that when you come in, you're going to sit in a pew and hear about God. Um, kind of like when you're in a history class. We can hear about George Washington or President Obama or all kinds of historical figures um, but to really truly know someone is to have relationship with them, is to have dialogue with them. And we can't have dialogue with people like George Washington, because George Washington is dead and in the grave. But we have a reason to rejoice this morning, because my friends, our God is risen and alive. We have the ability to know him on a true, real, personal, relational level. And the Bible talks about ways that we can know God. The first way is through prayer. 
Um, I often hear from my friends, a big thing today is Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, social media. And they'll be bragging and saying, oh my gosh, I've got 1,000 followers on Twitter. And you'll hear somebody else say, well, that's nothing. I've got 2,000 friends on Facebook. And you're just looking at that person going, friends? Really? Do you know half those people? What qualifies as a friend? And to me, somebody that's a friend is somebody that you know, that you have conversation with. And we sing the worship song in church, I am a friend of God. But so many times we don't take advantage of the fact that we can know him. We don't have dialogue with him. You can't know somebody if you don't talk to them. And the second way that I believe we can know God is it says in Matthew, right off the bat, in the beginning was the Word, and God was with the Word, and God was the Word. So right off the bat, the Bible in Matthew is saying that that same God, the same God that created you and me, that set all of creation into motion, that strength and power is residing in the Holy Word. If you want to know God, if you want to get closer to a Holy Father, then dive into the Scriptures. Read about his promises and his truth and his character, and it'll change your life. Take advantage of the fact that you can know God. The second fundamental truth is this. I'm just going to take these off, sorry. Is that that Bible that I was talking about is 100% true. We live in a society and a culture that loves to bend the truth. Um, that loves to twist things and, and just ignore certain things to suit our needs, our wants, and our desires. But we can't believe in that. Um, that, to me, is what I call trail mix gospel, trail mix scripture. I'll give you an example of that. In no way am I knocking my mom on her spirituality, um, but I am making fun of her, so hold on. Sorry, Mom. How many of you in the room have a favorite color M&M? Just pop up your hand. Have a favorite color M&M. Okay, keep your hands raised. Keep your hands raised. Everyone who doesn't have your hands raised, look around. All of those people are weird, and I give you permission to judge them. Okay? <laughs> My mom has a favorite color M&M. Green is her favorite, and she will not eat red M&Ms. She thinks they're disgusting. She thinks they're gross. It's all chocolate. It's all M&Ms. And we laugh about that because it's ridiculous, Mom. We think that's hilarious, but so often we do that with God's Word. So often, if something isn't appetizing to us for whatever reason, if something isn't something that we desire to eat, to take into our bodies, we discredit it and say it's not chocolate. And by chocolate, I mean truth. We have to believe that everything in the Bible is 100% true, that there is a clear line, no gray area. It is black and white. It is righteousness, holiness, and the pursuit of God and his goodness. And then on the other side is the world and the flesh and sin. There's no in-between. There's no middle ground. And there's no parts that we can just reach down and pull away and ignore. The Bible is 100% infallible and God-breathed and totally true. The next point and rock that we have at Thrive and just as a Christian is that God has an ideal. God has an ideal in so many areas of our life. He has an ideal for marriage starting in Genesis when he created Adam and created Eve. And all through scripture it talks about how a husband should love his bride like Christ loved the church. And how she should submit to her husband. I love that part. (laughs) It talks about the ideal that God has for us to guard our hearts above all else because from it flows the wellsprings of life. Yet so many times we leave our hearts wide open to this world to tell us that we're unworthy, we're not good enough, we're unqualified. Why do we do that? God has an ideal. We're supposed to guard our hearts from those things. The Bible talks about renewing our mind and yet so many times I find myself in my car or running justifying the music I'm listening to because I'm just listening to the beat. 
And then I'm in traffic and somebody cuts me off and one of those rap words slips from my mouth and I realize I was listening to the words. See, we have to hold up to this ideal, to what God has called for all of us to be pursuing the standard that he's set for each and every one of us. The next fundamental truth is something that's not typically talked about in Baptist church, but I think we do it really well here at Burlington. We should enjoy church. When I was at uh, Campbellsville, I went to a lot of churches visiting when I first started going to college down there. And so many of these churches just felt so dead when I walked in. It felt like so many people were just there to check something off their box. And if you hear nothing else that I say this morning, would you hear this? Sitting in a pew on a Sunday morning being a warm body does not make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. It just doesn't. And you guys are wasting your time. You should have stayed in bed. And that might seem harsh, but church is meant to be a place where you meet Jesus. The Bible says that where two or more are gathered, there the Lord is also. There the Lord is also. If that's not something to enjoy, to get excited about, that right now in this room we're hanging out with the Holy Father, then I don't know what is. We fist bump and we clap and we get excited and we throw things when we're watching a Bengals game. But when we're in a sermon, listening to the message, to the Holy Word of God, we just sit like this. Amen. And that's a stretch. Or you got the people during worship who are like doing one of these numbers because they really want to raise their hands, but they feel like, oh my gosh, people will look at me. You know? <laughs> Why do we do that? We're supposed to enjoy church. This is the house of God. And I don't know about you, but look around next to you. As some of you, this doesn't apply, but there are awesome people everywhere in this church. And I'm not just butt kissing. I'm being serious. I feel so blessed to work on staff at Burlington Baptist Church because I believe this place is a family. I believe that this fellowship is so incredible. That's something to come to church to look forward to and to enjoy. The next fundamental rock that we believe in is this, that trust strengthens faith. Now, this one is interesting because it actually takes faith to trust. So it kind of goes both ways. You see, you have a little bit of faith in God that moment that you start believing. And so you take a little tiny step. You know, you take a little tiny step, and God proves himself. And so the next time, that step is a little bit bigger. And it just keeps on growing and growing, God proving himself and proving himself, till eventually you're leaping off the stage in faith because you trust God. Because your faith is so strong. If we believe this to be true, we need to start trusting in a Savior who is always faithful because it will strengthen us as a Christian. The next fundamental rock is this. Kenny Clore used to always say this, and man, do I miss that guy. So if you know this, follow along. God is good. And all the time. I love that. But guys, as Christians, sometimes that's really, really hard to accept. Because sometimes, guys, circumstances aren't good. Sometimes situations in life is not good. And sometimes people aren't good. You know, I've, I found myself at times questioning, how could a God who loves me allow me to go through some of these things that I've gone through in my life? And it, every time I thought about the scripture in Romans where it says, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And when I thought about that when I was younger, I used to think that that meant that if I obeyed God's laws and his commandments, if I held on to these fundamental truths and pursued Jesus, that God would protect me from the bad things in this world, that every day at dinner time I would have a chocolate cake waiting for me after, that all these good things would just happen. And that's not what God was saying at all. God was saying, yeah, you're going to go through stuff. Yeah, you're going to walk through that valley. 
but guess what? I'm going to be walking with you. And sometimes it takes us being cut off at the knees for us to surrender and humble ourselves and see Jesus. And if we're seeing Jesus, that's him working it to his good because he is good. The next fundamental truth that we all believe in is that your beliefs matter. I was talking to one of my buddies who I went to Campbellsville with, and uh, like good theology students, we were arguing over some pointless doctrinal statement. I don't remember what it was. Um, We were going back and forth on this issue, and so I asked him a question, and I I said, what do you think about this? And he said, man, I don't know. And I just want to sidebar and say, I don't know is always a better answer than some random thing that you truly don't believe in. Remember that. It says in the Old Testament that when Samuel spoke, not a single word fell to the ground. And what that literally means is that when he spoke, he spoke with purpose and every word was meaningful. I think we can all take something from that that maybe we need to think more before we speak sometimes. But continuing on in this story, um, I said, okay, I can accept that. And so I asked him another question, and he actually gave me an answer this time. He said, Blake, I believe this, and I believe this. And I said, okay. And like a good Christian, I disagreed. And, and so I said, why? Why do you believe that? And again, he gave me the same answer because, well, I don't really know. You see, that's where I have a problem with that statement, I don't know, because your beliefs matter because beliefs dictate your behavior. Your beliefs decide your behavior. And so many times I feel like we believe things because it's what our parents told us. We believe things because it's what the world has pushed down our throats to believe. And what we're doing when we live by their belief systems, what we do when we live our lives according to the standards that they have set, is we're selling ourselves so short from what God has called for each one of us. It almost becomes idol worship because we're concerned more about what other people think, other people's opinions, than what Jesus thinks. Than having a real, genuine, one-on-one, dialogue, relationship, worship experience with the Father. Your beliefs matter. And the last one, and probably my favorite foundational truth, is this. That you can have grace in a moment. That you can receive Jesus into your life in one moment. One of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible is Acts 3.19. And I love it because it says this. Repent, therefore, and turn back, so that your sins might be blotted out. I love that imagery. Your sins might be blotted out. And what that says to me is that in one single moment where I hit my knees and say, you know what, God, I know I'm jacked up. I know I've messed up. I know I'm a sinner. But I'm saying right now I need you. In that moment, Jesus looks down and he says, you know what, son? I died for all those sins that you're talking about. I died for the sins you're going to commit next week. I died for them all, paid in full. I got you. That's something to get excited about, guys. I mean, I don't know about you, but I mess up a lot. (laughs) That covers all of it. My God is so much bigger. Your God is so much greater. And in a moment, we can receive that power and that grace. But you see, guys, while we have all of these blue-sided, foundational, core truths of the church, just because something's true doesn't mean that it's going to be believed. It doesn't. In fact, there are a lot of experiences in our life where we go to present these truths to the public, to people that are hurting and dying, and they turn away because these truths aren't enough. Let me explain. I have a friend and his name is Andy and Andy went to Bible college. And after Bible college, Andy married his high school sweetheart. They had two kids and were married for 10 years. And then they ran into some money problems and his wife split and decided she didn't want anything to do with Andy or the kids. 
But Andy had believed his entire life that God has an ideal. He has an ideal for marriage, and I've broken that, so I'm unworthy to preach the gospel. I'm unworthy to minister to people. In fact, I'm unworthy to walk into church. And so he never did again. Or I could tell you a story about a 12-year-old named Susie who went to Bible school every single day. And she ran into her Sunday school class excited, ready to learn, filled with questions. And so weeks and weeks would go by, and every week Susie would ask questions and be engaged. And eventually, one week, her Sunday school stopped her and said, Listen, Susie, church isn't a place for questions. Church is a place for people to just trust God. Well, when Susie got old enough to start driving, trusting God wasn't enough. She needed something tangible. She needed answers. And if this woman who represented the church, who represented God, wasn't going to give her the answers, she didn't want to be a part of it. And so she walked away. Or I could tell you about Bill, who was a businessman. And Bill had a friend named Angie. And Bill was trying his hardest to minister to Angie. But you see, Bill was a very bitter person. He was cold and stern. And one day, Angie just looked up to him while he was trying to proclaim the gospel, these truths, these foundational core truths that are true. And she just looked at him and said, you know, man, you talk about a good God a whole lot. When are you going to start being good? When are you going to stop being so bitter? If your God is so good, why can't you do that? I I don't want to be a part of that. And so you get my, my picture here that I'm trying to portray That sometimes it's so easy for us to hold on to these truths that we become that Christian. The Christian that has all of the right answers, that looks crystal clear and clean on the outside, but doesn't have the hard answers. So let me explain. We need to believe that we can have grace in a moment, but we also need to understand that it is a lifetime pursuit to understand that fact. You see, there's two parts of salvation. The first is justification. So in a moment, I can stand justified before the Father. But then after that, it is a lifetime pursuing Jesus, being sanctified. Sanctification. You see, if we only get one side of that box, if we only tell people when we're proclaiming the gospel that they can have grace in the moment, they leave and they don't ever change. There's no pursuit of something higher, something greater. And so when they go to proclaim the gospel, they look like hypocrites. Nobody wants to listen to them. You see, guys, we need both sides of the box. And here we see that beliefs matter, but guys, we also have to believe the opposite side of that, that people matter more. Let me explain that. I sat in a classroom for so long listening to people argue over who wrote what gospel when and what became uh, before what and all of these things that, yes, they're important to understand. Yes, they're important to know your beliefs. But there were people who were hurting, who were broken, who were hungry, And the Christians were more concerned about arguing over theology than helping people, than loving people. See, people matter more. God gives us two commands. Above all else, love God and love people. We have to remember that. You see, guys, we know that God is good, but because God is good, we also need to understand we should do good. We should do good. Because when we're not, and I know that we are in a sin-fallen world, I know that we're all going to stumble and make mistakes, But when we're living our lives being bitter and angry and cold, how are people possibly going to buy into a God who is good and redemptive and filled with mercy and grace? They aren't going to buy it. And for some people, you could be sitting in a restaurant talking to a waiter, and you might be the only opportunity that person has to see Jesus. And if you're angry and bitter and selfish and impatient, 
If you're all of those things, when they look at you, what are they going to see? Are they going to see Jesus? Because those aren't the characteristics of the Father. And so I think we can all work on pursuing a life that is more kind, that is more patient. And I know that that's not easy, but that's what we're called to do, both sides of the box. Here we know that that trust strengthens faith, but guys, we also have to believe that doubt strengthens faith. And I know that to be true because we have stories in Scripture that tell us so. There's a story of a man named Thomas in the Bible. And I think God gives us this story because it's a beautiful image of somebody doubting Jesus and him allowing it. Jesus came back. He was resurrected from the grave. And when Thomas saw him, he didn't believe it was Jesus. How many times in your life have you ran across people where it's been you yourself, where somebody told you, no, this is what Jesus is. This is what it's about. And you haven't believed it. And people have either made you feel stupid for not believing it, or you felt guilty for not understanding, and so you didn't ask questions. Well, see, here Thomas did ask a question. He asked Jesus. He said, I, I, just, I just doubt that it's you, God. And Jesus said, you know what, Thomas? Touch my wounds. Touch my wounds. See, guys, until we start allowing people to work through their doubts, they will never own their faith. And in that moment, when Thomas said, I need you to show me that it's you, Jesus. Jesus was allowed to, to move in his life. And so many times we just get in the way of that. We just get in the way trying to present this gospel and not allowing people to ask questions, not allowing people to doubt, making them feel stupid or silly for doubting God. It's such a taboo word or thing to say. But, Tom, but Thomas doubted. Jesus allows it, guys. He has broad shoulders. He can take it. And we need to give him the opportunity to reach down and say, Touch my wounds. Let me show you where I worked in your life. Let me show you that I died for you and that I love you so much because you're mine. We need to believe that we're supposed to enjoy church, but also, and don't quote me out of context, we should enjoy this world. So many of us, I feel like, are so caught on the blue side of the box that if it's not a church-sanctioned function, we won't go to it. We won't leave our house unless it's for a Bible study or for a group meeting or candy on the corner or Thrive or Sunday morning. And guys, God has called us to so much more than that. He's called us to enjoy a park on the nice day or enjoy an ice cream cone. I mean, we're allowed to enjoy things. We don't just have to be these gray robots. He wants us to enjoy the world. And I'm not saying he wants us to enjoy drinking and smoking pot. So please do not go home and say, my pastor said I can get wasted because I did not say that. but enjoy what God has created. Enjoy the beautiful things around you. Take every day to choose joy and live in the world that God made. Another thing is God does have an ideal, but like my friend Andy needs to understand and like everyone in this room needs to understand, God loves to use broken people. All throughout scripture, the people that God used the most, that God used in the most mighty ways were people not who had it all together, but the people whose lives were messed up. Martha was a worrywart. She worried all the time. Although the Bible says 365 times, fear not, she had anxiety. Noah was a drunk. Noah was a drunk. Paul killed Christians. Rahab was a prostitute. Paul killed Christians. I mean, I'm still stuck on that one. He killed God's children. David was an adulterer and a liar. And I can go on and on and on about people that God said, you know what, I know your lives are broken and that's what makes you prime people for me to show my redemptive power in your life. 
And so many of us are sitting in these pews saying, I'm unworthy, I'm too broken, my past is too ugly, I've hurt too many people. And Jesus is looking at you and saying, you know what, that makes you a prime person for me to say, you know what, I died for that. And I can work through it. I'm greater than that. I am stronger than that. That's what can reach a hurt and broken world. We need to believe that the Bible is 100% true, but we also need to believe that everything about life is not in the Bible. Now let me explain that. Um, last time I read Genesis, I don't remember ever reading anything about um, thou shalt not be addicted to Facebook. I don't remember seeing that. I might have missed it. I don't know. Um, I also don't remember anywhere in Scripture it's specifically pointing out the issue of homosexual marriage. Because what those things are are cultural um, generational issues that we face every single day. And, and sometimes I feel like new Christians are going through the Bible and we've told them that everything in it is 100% true. And when they can't find answers to these hard questions, they just dismiss it. They can't buy into it. And so instead, we need that opposite side of the box. We need to be able to tell them, it might not exactly be in there, but let me show you how this verse applies to what you're going through. Let me show you how God can use this message to speak to your life. We need both sides of the box. And the last one, we can know God. That's so important for us to understand. But one of the greatest things about God is that God is a mystery. God's a mystery. There are so many times where I think about if I knew everything God knew. I've even asked them sometimes, you know, God, why do you have to be so difficult? Why can't I understand your plan for my life? But the fact of the matter is, if I understood everything God did, I wouldn't believe in him. And I know that that seems like a bold, radical statement, but it's really not. Because if I was on the same intellectual playing field as God, why would I need him? See, it's in those moments where I feel so desperate, so broken, like I can go this far, but God can go immeasurably farther. Those are the moments that I look to God and say, you know what? Because I don't understand, I'm putting my trust and hope in something so much bigger and greater. I love that God is a mystery because he's constantly doing things that are unpredictable, that are impossible, and unprecedented in my life. See, God is a mystery. See, each and every one of us need to learn how to live in the tension between the blue side of the box and the pink side of the box. I think about a rubber band, and if I wadded up a rubber band and I were to throw it right here, that probably wouldn't hurt you very much, would it? But if I were to stretch out that rubber band and pull it back and snap him right between the eyes... He'd probably cry like a little girl. <laughs> Sorry, but you would. <clears throat> My point to that is, there's power in the tension. Sometimes we're so afraid of it. We're so afraid to wander away from the fishbowl that is this building, that is church, into a hurt, broken world. We're so afraid to be in the world that we might become of it. But God wants us in the world, and he protects us from being of it. It's that tension that strengthens truth that allows us to witness to hurt, broken, dying people. So as the band comes back up to the stage, this morning I just have a challenge for all of you guys. Would you maybe for the first time say, you know what, God, I believe all these fundamental truths of Christianity, but I've never been really good at bringing the word to people who are hurting. I've been really good at sitting in church and doing church things. Would you show me that other side of the box? Would you allow me to live in the tension? Would you strengthen me and fuel me and, and set a catalyst in my heart so that I can reach people on my job or 
my everyday life. And maybe for you, you're sitting in this room and church has been a place that you've been afraid of because of your past. Because you, you've seen all of these ideals and standards that the church has. Well, I want you to know God is bigger. Know that today. And he wants you. There's room for you. He's inviting you today to his house, to his table. In Middle Eastern culture, you were only welcome to somebody's table as long as your cup was filled. As long as your cup was filled. So in that passage in the Psalms where it says, my cup runneth over. What that literally was saying is that we are always welcome at the table of Jesus. And if we believe that we are in pursuit of a shepherd, if we're following his example, we know that he's filling our cup. It's time that we start filling other people's cups. It's time that we start making people welcome at the table of Jesus. Guys, so many times in our pursuit to hold on to these fundamental truths, the blue side of the box, we listen to God's call to be fishermen of men, but we hit up the Newport Aquarium. We go fishing for fish that are already caught. But when I go fishing, I think about lakes and ponds and the ocean. Sometimes you get a little dirty. But that's what God has called us to do. And don't hear me saying from the pulpit that I think that if you're somebody who wears a suit and tie on Sunday, that that's wrong. That you should wear skinny jeans and hipster glasses. Because that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I think God has called each and every one of us exactly where we are for a reason. That no matter what you look like, no matter where you come from, God wants to use you in a powerful, mighty way. You guys, we all need to stop thinking that church is bound by four walls and realize that we are the church. We are the church. We need to start bringing it to people who are hurting and in need of Jesus. Carl Lentz once said something, and I've held on to it for a long time. I will hold on to it for the rest of my life. He said, we need to become preachers who preach like dying men to dying people. There's an urgency there. There's something that makes you just want to go and do and be. So I challenge you, now that you feel enabled, now that you know that there's a shepherd who is preparing a way for you, and you, you are equipped, you know what you believe, that you might go into the places where you work, where you hang out, and you might be Jesus to somebody. Would you pray with me? Dear God, just thank you for this opportunity this morning to be in the house of the Father. God, we know that, that you're here. I can feel it. Lord, you're so good. Thank you that you've given us these fundamental, foundational truths, these rocks to stand upon. But also you've given us grace for when we fall off the rocks. Lord, I just ask that as we go out of this building, that you would enable us to be people who can live in the world but not become of it. That you can help us reach people who are hurting in a way that we've never been able to before. That we can bring these fundamental, foundational, life-changing truths to people who might look a little different, who might not understand it, who have questions. Lord, would you allow us to let people doubt you just have your way we're getting out of the way God we just ask you to have your way with this city and community
Lord, today, if there's a person in this place this morning, there's someone in here who doesn't know you, who feels like their past is too dirty, if this ideal and this standard that church puts up is too high for them to ever feel like they can achieve or accomplish, would you just fill their hearts this morning and let them know that you've got them covered? That when they do mess up, that you're there to pick them up. That their past is not too broken or ugly or dirty or unclean for you to cleanse with your blood. God, would you just wrap them with your arms and let them feel loved like they have never felt before this morning in this place. God, we just thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So guys, during this song, you can respond by coming up and taking up communion. The bread representing the body broken. Jesus' bones broken for you and for me. I don't like saying Christians because it's personal. For you and for me. And the blood that blots out all of our sin. Scripture says this, and I love it. It says, Christ demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, he died for us while we were still sinners. So think about the most broken place you've ever been on, been in, the most dark valley you ever walked. God loved you then enough to die for you. That's the kind of father that you have. It's the kind of father who has welcomed you into his presence today. Maybe the way you want to respond is by coming up to this altar. It's open. The altar is a place for you to just humble yourselves and say, God, I need you. Whatever your decision might be, whatever your response might be this morning, I just invite you to move. Because life is so short. There's no reason for us not to be so moved by this experience. It says in the song, Everything, how can I stand in this presence and not be moved by you? Let God move in you today. Let God move in you. Let him set that fire. Let this be a catalyst for you to go. Would you stand and sing and respond in whatever way God's calling you?